Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional film. For the dozen in attendance, and for the handful listening around the world, it's time for Remake Rumble! Howdy folks, and welcome to Remake Rumble, the podcast that pits a classic film against its remake, the old guard against the new, in a dazzling display of motion picture pugilism. Two films enter, one film leaves. My name is Johnny Lee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, David, King of the Wild Frontier, Ratigan. Hello, David. Howdy, partners. How do? <laughs> and Daniel, Yellow Belly Gilmore. Hello, Daniel. Boy, howdy. This episode, it's Cowboys vs. Katanas, as Akira Kurosawa classic, Seven Samurai, stands off against Old West Overhaul, The Magnificent Seven. As ever, we'll cut both films down to size and determine which is their roughest and or toughest, as well as test our silver screen smarts in a written tootin' hoedown lowdown, or, as the city slickers are calling it, a quiz. But this town isn't big enough for the three of us, and so, for the first time in Remake Rumble history, I'm pleased to welcome a guest to the podcast, Jess, co-host of The Socialist Film Show. Hello, Jess. Hey, yeah, pleased to be here. Um, so I'm a researcher and I'm a filmmaker, and I guess I'm here for the ride. Great to have you on board. Well, now that's our posse assembled, I think it's time we moseyed on over to the remake rumble ring. Oh, and pistols at the ready. There be spoilers and then there hills. Awoo-wee! Ride on. Ride on. Somehow I don't think you solved my problem. Solving your problems isn't in our line. We deal in lead, friend. So do I. We're in the same business, huh? Only as competitors. The Magnificent Seven. Directed by cinema pioneer Akira Kurosawa, Seven Samurai follows, you guessed it, Seven Samurai on a mission to help a village of lowly farmers fend off an attack from fiendish bandits. Released in 1954, it's regarded by many as one of the greatest films ever made. But importantly for us, it's one of the most remade films ever made, having been repackaged, refashioned and riffed upon almost too many times to count. From 1980's Battle Beyond the Stars to an episode of Star Wars spin-off The Mandalorian, even Disney got into the act with 1998's A Bug's Life, as I'm sure David will bang on about momentarily. But perhaps the most well-known of these remakes, and certainly one that kicked off the trend, is John Sturge's The Magnificent Seven from 1960, which swaps the 16th century Japanese setting of the original for the Wild West, with the ronin replaced with gunslinging cowboys and the bandits a Mexican gang. Now, Seven Samurai might be a classic, but it's also over three hours long and in black and white, so presumably you struggled with that, Daniel. Oh, sorry, I didn't realise I was coming in right now. Uh, <laughs> sorry. What was the film we were doing? Wait, you are on Twitter, weren't you? Sorry, I was, I was just on Pornhub. Hang on. Let me just talk about it. Okay, <laughs> right. So, before we get started, did you see the quote that Kurosawa made about Magnificent Seven, by the way? I can't say I did. The American copy is a disappointment, although entertaining. 
It is not a version of Seven Samurai. I do not know why they call it that. Controversial. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good way to start off. I don't think that's unwarranted. Had you seen Seven Samurai before? Or were you already a fan? Actually, I'd seen Magnificent Seven before, but I'd never seen Seven Samurai. And it's definitely a very, very different beast to the story that came from it, which I guess is something to be to be lauded, right? Like a remake, you don't want it to be the same. You want it to, to have that kind of thing about itself. Like, it's clear that The Magnificent Seven was a film made by Hollywood, right? But it's also clear that Kurosawa drew a lot of his inspirations initially from Hollywood. So it's kind of like this kind of study in this loop between Hollywood and Japan kind of making and remaking itself. I think that's such a great interpretation. I didn't actually know about the feedback loop bit because I was like, I think lots of people take it as a sort of like tawdry imitation of like the original or whatever. I mean, that's definitely how like, I don't know, Empire or whatever looks at it as. But um, in terms that's of... how I see it as well. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> but it's like feedback loop. It's, it's interesting because I read it as like a sort of uh-huh. the Americans taking something which is a quote unquote foreign language film and like remaking it because it's like no one wants to read subtitles. <laughs> I don't know, it, it gave me big like you know Scarlett Johansson vibes where it's sort of like um I don't know you know there's this like classic idea of like um you know horror films from Japan which are really scary and like completely unsanitized like the original grudge films and like the that whole series and all those sort of you know anime films that you know got remade for Hollywood Mm -hmm. and you know producers thought it'd be a good idea but it's it's interesting that there's actually more of a cultural exchange going on there it's, it's maybe worth mentioning that um, there was an American release of Seven Samurai, and I think it was they cut an hour from it, uh-huh. and, they, and they, they called it Magnificent Seven. Oh, wow. I wondered where the name came from. So, so that's not original to this film. No. So, did they just cut out the bit of the bandits or something? How do you lose an hour <laughs> from that film? Yeah, it's really interesting. It'd be interesting to watch that um, because there must be so much that's lost. And actually, something I was going to say, mm. I, I do feel like it's a film that, that where the length is justified. It doesn't feel like this is just pretentiousness or indulgence and it also doesn't didn't feel to me it's not a slow film it is a long film and long films are challenging but it's never you know any given section of the film is not particularly challenging i don't think it's, it moves at a fairly brisk pace the other thing that's maybe worth mentioning then for for our listeners who don't know is that coming back to the kind of dialogue between hollywood and japanese cinema is that kurosawa was a big fan of earlier westerns particularly the westerns mm-hmm. of John Ford, and that partly inspired his films. And in Japan, I think his films are often considered to be quite Western. Um, and apparently, he always wanted a cowboy hat, I read somewhere. Maybe he got that cowboy hat. I'm not quite sure what happened with that. I really hope so. That's true, by the way. That isn't a joke. He really did. David, that's such a random bit of trivia. Where did you pull that from? Cowboyhatfacts.com. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite website. <laughs> Let's just hope that doesn't come up in the quiz. Um, <laughs> and, and, and other Kurosawa films were remade. So, uh, Yujimbo was remade into, unofficially, uh, into A Fistful of Dollars and is, is Django. Hidden Fortress, very famously. I think we mentioned this on our Star Wars episode. That was a big influence for Star Wars. And George Lucas was a big Kurosawa fan and helped get his later films produced. So, there are very much this like kind of back and forth, I think. Yeah. What's really interesting to me is that even though Seven Samurai is much longer than Magnificent Seven, to me, it felt shorter. I thought Magnificent Seven was quite a slog. Um, and I didn't think that of Seven Samurai. And I think that's really interesting of a film that is three and a half hours long, even with, you know, what is it, like a 10-minute intermission. Whereas Magnificent Seven, there's so much filler. And what comes to mind particularly, actually, is that scene where there's a um, a Mexican festival at the village. 
and it just keeps cutting back to that festival for no discernible reason. Mm. Um, and there's nothing like that in Seven Samurai. Everything that is in that film, to me, feels completely earned and kind of needs to be on the screen. If you look at it from Hollywood's eyes, though, cutting an hour out of uh, Seven Samurai, technically you could do it. I mean, Hollywood would do that as well because a lot of the stuff that you could cut from that is character development. Because what you're looking at in Kurosawa isn't necessarily slowness. It's not about pace. It's about being considered and measured and like that kind of pace of life, you know, in feudal Japan. So what you could do if you were Hollywood is cut out the bits where they're sitting down talking about, um, they're talking about how farmers have the, the same issues. You know, they've got all this stuff hidden away and they've got like, you know, they're, they're murderers in the same way. You could cut out the bits where they talk about character's history and how, you know, I had a wife and then she left or died or, you know, whatever. Like you could cut out those scenes. It'll lose a lot, but technically you could do that. And that's what makes me dread even thinking about that kind of cut. Cause you just go, well, I, I don't think you've kind of got it. Like, like not in a pretentious way, but like the whole point of the, the film is meant to be really slow and it's meant to kind of put you in that position. Cause the whole time you're going, this is miserable. I hate to be a farmer. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, it's just drudgery. Like I'm sitting there getting bored by it and I'm only like, like, and I'm like sat here with a phone and a plate full of curry and they're like sat there talking about eating a handful of millet. Whereas with Magnificent Seven, it's almost the opposite. They had a two hour running time, but one hour's worth of material. And the hour was a lot of fun. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I didn't enjoy myself in some parts, but I would have maybe lost an hour from, from Magnificent Seven before I lost an hour from Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. I feel like it really shows, and you've kind of already touched on this, in the way that each of the characters in Seven Samurai feel like they have a reason to be there. That there's a reason mm. why there are seven of them. And mm. each yeah, of them yeah. seem to have some kind of function. They each have a personality. They each have their own motivation for being there. With Magnificent Seven, like, I'm not really sure why there's seven of them. It feels like there could have been three of them. There should have been three of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they combined that, the um, like the uh, more manic guy and the younger guy from Seven Samurai, they combine them into the Horsch Buchholz character. Which is a terrible decision, in my opinion. <laughs> terrible idea! The worst idea! Because you get all of the annoyances of the of the manic guy, but like none of the professionalism, like none of the actual ability. So you end up with this just like hyperactive dipshit who just ends up in the way <laughs> with a really unconvincing romance and then no payoff. It's just baffling. It also doesn't make any sense because it, it was important in Magnificent Seven that there were these 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 two separate things going on. You had the samurai the guy who wanted to be a samurai but you know transpires that actually he is of farming background but that's his one goal is he wants to be a samurai and mm. you know he fights his whole way through the film to realize that and the kind of tragic irony is that he, he finally does effectively become a samurai but only in death when he's buried with the others and and that's one story and then the other stories of this young man who is born into the samurai class but who chooses to leave that behind in order to be with the woman that he's fallen in love with so he's he's sacrificing that mm. status and mm-hmm. that's two very important different things that get smooshed together i honestly feel like with magnificent seven they're almost not discernible at all maybe that's a bit over the top but i mean they are basically seven very prototypical 1960s men macho men mm. there's not really much more to them than that really they don't really have any depth. Well, I don't know if you guys knew this, but apparently Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen did not get along well on this production. Yeah, <laughs> about that, yeah. I think there was something about how Steve was like shorter than Yul, so he'd have to pack up dirt underneath him so he could stand on, so he was never short in shots. Like, they basically never spoke when they are outside of their trailers. It was clear that they were all kind of vying to be that leading man, and that's not a great way to, to run mm. a movie, having seven leading characters. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree. 
but somehow the Magnificent Three doesn't really pack as much of a punch, I think. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought that was such a great point, like the three dimensionality of like the, the Seven Samurai, because it's just, it's, you know, it's fundamentally like, I kind of know what was going on there, but if you ask me what was going on in the Magnificent Seven, like what was the sort of like thing that plot line revolved around? I'd say shooting, right? <laughs> There's like pretty much literally shots fired, mm-hmm. like every, I don't know, Every scene. Basically, there's a sound effects man who has loads of ricochet sounds that need to be used. <laughs> yeah, like going absolutely crazy on the soundboard, right? But, you know, in terms of like, there was a lot of chat about rice and there was like a lot of chat about like sort of like agrarian like culture and history and like the feudal system and like nobility. And there was all this sort of like, it actually made me feel like really sad, right? Because it was mm. like, um, seven samurai that is like, because, because, you know, there's actual like pathos in that, right? There's like, I guess that's part of the reason it feels a lot less long and better paced, right? Because it's like trying yeah. to spell out these, the individual characters of these people, as well as the harshness of that entire environment, right? Like you have to really fight for it. And actually, I thought this was really interesting. So, you know, typically as the girl, I'm going to take a gendered perspective or whatever. <laughs> but there was a lot of talk about like the threat of rape, right? Mm. There was none of that. There was like no threat almost. It was like completely sanitized in Magnificent Seven, right? Like, you know, it was a bit of, I don't know, eye candy and a bit of sort of like, oh, you know, there aren't any girls here, there aren't any women in this town, like, wonder why that is. But it's all very subtle, none of this sort of, like, guns and girls mentality that lots of Westerns have. Mm-hmm. But in terms of Seven Samurai, like, you know, the the that scene where the dad is trying to chase after his daughter because then he wants her to cut her hair and she she's acting like it's the worst thing she's ever done, but he's like, it's for your own personal protection and the entire mm-hmm. village comes and, like, you know, watches this scene, essentially. That's, I thought, pretty poignant. Um, you know, I think it's pretty telling of like the sort of life and times in that sort of like gendered perspective as well. Um, sorry, that's quite heavy. <laughs> no, no, it, th- those are fantastic. I mean, that was a, the most harrowing scene out of all of it. Like just that little part where you just watch this woman, like basically being chased around, like almost having her humanity stripped away. Like to say, like, you can't be a woman in this kind of time because that's dangerous, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if you are, if you're allowed to be beautiful, like that just makes you a target. It's horrendous. They, they do kind of like briefly mention it in one line where they say, oh, well, you know, we've got to hide away the women and children because we were worried they might, you might rape them, whatever. But let's be honest, it's nothing compared to like her whole haircut sequence, you know, uh, her approach to romance with the younger samurai. Like th- that's a really interesting dynamic that is completely missing from Magnificent Seven. Like I completely agree. It's, it's a real shame that they don't even try and deal with that. But worse still, they don't even have any of like the, the actual like class concept to it, like they yeah. don't have any of like the the hierarchy. It's just well, these are cowboys, uh, <laughs> and these aren't cowboys. Therefore, the cowboys are going to win, <laughs> and uh, like the farmers, or you know, they're just going to be kind of beholden to whatever natural forces like come by, whether they're bandits or whether it's natural disasters. Um, but but also the other thing about sadness as well, like something I kind of picked up on a bit. Like if you look at Magnificent Seven, so each character has like their own little individual sadness, right? Like you've got. You know, the guy who's during his sleep overacts or has nightmares or whatever it is. And you've got like, you know, these people that are saying, Oh yeah, well, we're not going to have kids. We're not going to have wives or whatever. But if you watch through Seven Samurai, every time someone's sad, the entire room stops. The world stops. Like you've got entire villages just wailing, just crying in sadness. Like it's all shared. Like it's all this just nightmare experience of like, Oh God, being a farmer is awful. You know, being a samurai is really difficult. It's really painful. Even though you get like this kind of advanced station, we always lose. Like that kind of tragedy is always a shared experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Magnificent Seven, it's always just, I'm sad. Great. I'm sad. 
great. I'm sad. Great. And, and, and if you contrast that with like the, the joy that comes from a lot of Magnificent Seven, like basically everyone's, it's, they're stacking up rocks. Like it's all like a big, like day trip to the beach. It's like, <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. We're going to build a fence. We're going to have all this great stuff. The bandits aren't coming. You know, we're just building the sandcastle or whatever. It, it's the whole weight of it gets lost. The whole point of it is just completely missed. Can I just say though, I, I totally agree with everything that's just been said, but I'd also say that Seven Samurai is also a much funnier film than Magnificent Seven, even though Seven mm. Samurai is the more serious film. Because, I mean, Toshiro Mifune, who obviously he is the highlight of both films, just incredible performance. And, he, you know, he's mm. essentially the comic relief. But the fact that you do have this kind of really comical character amidst this darkness, the balance, I think, is so much better in Seven Samurai because of that. It kind of it takes the light with the dark, whereas I feel like Magnificent Seven is very two dimensional by the same token, and I don't think any of the jokes land or any of the humor lands. Oh no! You know what? No, you know what I did laugh at the part where Hosh Bullcold's full on has a like a like a romantic like look across the room, look at first sight moment with a bull. Do you remember that bit? I don't remember. I must have blocked that out. Honestly, it's a bit where he pretends like to be a matador or whatever. But the the shot where he, he like he comes up to the bull and the bull is like there. It is shot for shot like a nineteen forties like romance. Like you expect it to have like one of those hazy filters, black and white. Like, <laughs> oh, like they looked across the room at each other. That made me laugh. Nothing else did, but that made me cackle. David, that's such a good point about like um, Seven Samurai being a funnier film, weirdly, despite being longer and everything else. But like the two things that really struck me was imagine carrying around your entire family tree in your pocket until like someone <laughs> finds you, but you're like, you know, getting drunk in the meantime and whatever. And then the fact that like Katsushiro like finds like Shino and he's like chasing her being like, I can't believe you're picking flowers. And then he only realizes that she's a girl after like, basically a titty reveal <laughs> it's kind of like you know, it's sort of like deep shame of like chasing her into a field and being like oh right okay shoot <laughs> and it's just like the whole family tree thing and the titty reveal it's like kind of like you know a very particular brand of comedy i think like where it's sort of fraught with sadness and all this like sort mm-hmm. of background problems of it all right you have to prove your entire like genealogy like you know the threat of rape like all of this like it's all sort of carried in that sort of humor it's like not humor without sort of problems it's like a tragedy comedy yeah yeah totally and i think it speaks to kurosawa's broader skill at just humanizing people Mm. and including the peasants we already touched on this but i felt like in magnificent seven the peasants were really like one big amorphous peasant blob whereas (laughs) seven samurai you know it, it for example, that the three peasants who go to get the, the samurai from the town, mm. they each have a distinct personality. There's no reason for them to be, again, three of them in Magnificent Seven <laughs> because they're all the same. Um, and just the thing you were saying about the, the woman in the village, it made me think that in a way, Magnificent Seven kind of plays it for laughs. It's like all those naive farmers, what are they like? <laughs> Whereas, yeah, it's definitely something m- more, more serious and, and, loaded with seven samurai and also it's again coming back to the humanizing and and individualizing particular people that whole thing is focused on one particular family that peasant man the the father and his daughter and then the other thing i was going to say that that someone mentioned was like the the issue of class and i think that is the number one thing that that doesn't translate between the two settings and completely changes the context for everything because it's vital to seven samurai that they are samurai and they are coming to defend these peasants mm. and that gives everything context for example there, there is this implication that japan's just come out of this 
the civil war and the samurai have often been as as done as much harm to the peasants as the bandits have so the 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 peasants have a reason to be fearful of the samurai that like not only do they have this kind of like social and political power but also they've just had first-hand experience of being treated awfully by them and so they have that kind of reason for suspicion whereas in magnificent seven it's just like they're just some goofy naive peasants who um, <laughs> have some silly ideas about cowboys and there it really is just just it's like working class guys with guns protecting peasants with guns against other peasants mm. with guns there's there's no there's not that same kind of class dynamic i mean you could argue there's a kind of racial dynamic right like all the cowboys are white but it's not particularly that's that's more that's not speaking to the film's themes that's just reflecting like the racism of <laughs> the film production well, um, <laughs> yeah i mean if it, to, to kind of fall on from that though like I completely agree that that's one of the main things that's missing from uh, Magnificent Seven, but that's kind of classic Hollywood, right? Like, they never deal with that kind of question. They never have, and they very rarely even do now. But I think what they've basically done is what you said. It's like they've replaced the class part with with race, but without actually changing any of the story. So it becomes completely meaningless, right? Like, if you replace the fact that, you know, it's, it's samurai and peasants, and now it's like Mexicans and Americans, basically... You can't just transplant those things. It's not the same. Yeah, I wondered if maybe they would do something with the fact that Yul Brynner isn't American and maybe that would be thematically, you know, weaved into the story. But I mean, I I certainly didn't pick up anything about that. The one thing that I thought had potential was the was the way that they portrayed the bandit leader that they mm. did start to humanize him in a way mm, that there's certainly more there. Yeah, yeah, and played by Eli Wallach, who's, who's you know brilliant actor. Um, he's got he's got more screen time. He's got more personality, and importantly, you do get a little insight into his motivation. And he doesn't treat the peasants with, from what I remember, with quite the same brutality. And he, you know, he never shoots his own men, for example, unlike in in Seven Samurai, um, mm. uh, and and also incidentally in the the more recent twenty sixteen Magnificent Seven remake, you can sort of understand where he's coming from. Um, and there's that really cool line at the end where Calvera's dying. He says, he's, I can't remember what he says exactly, but he, he looks at Yul Brynner, whoever it is, and he says, you know, why? Or something like that. He clearly doesn't understand why the Seven Samurai have come back to the village. He's genuinely puzzled mm. as to why they would, they would sacrifice mm. themselves like this. So I thought that was pretty cool. But again, they didn't make as much of it as they could have done. A place like this? Why? A man like you? Why? Calvera's great. Calvera's absolutely one of the few redeeming things about Magnificent Seven. I mean, he is, in some senses, kind of one of the like nicer characters in the whole thing. Like, mm. he leaves the peasants behind just enough to get by. He doesn't, you know, strip them blind. Like, he has discussions with them. He never treats them as, like, insects or something. Like, he thinks they're humans. He just says, like, there's a natural order to things. I'm the bandit. You're the farmer. I steal from you. This is how it goes, right? So when these, you know, cowboys come in and start messing things up, he's just saying, like, look, guys, you're out of your depth. I understand. <laughs> What what I'm going to do is, there's this once, I'm going to let you guys go, you guys get to have your fun over there, we're going to have our fun over here, just walk away, right? Like, fair enough, I can't blame him for that. I mean, he's still like a bandit and a murderer, but you know, he gave them amnesty, it was like, look, you lost, here's another try, you know, go ahead and go off and do whatever Carolusson you're going to do with somewhere else. I love Calvera, he's a great character. I'm glad I'm not the only one in the Calvera fan club. Completely. (laughs) I'm ride or die. Actually, on a similar point, I quite liked how Yul Brynner and Steve McQueen, when they're introduced, you know, which I imagine this would have been quite forward thinking for the time, considering it's 1960, where the town doesn't want to bury the dead body because they're Native American mm-hmm. and they're willing to put themselves in harm's way to, to bury them, even though the town is like, you know, inc- incredibly racist. I thought that was quite interesting. 
No, I take your point. Like, it's it's fair enough. Like, it's they could have easily just been like, oh, no, there's bandits or there's, like, robbers. They, you know, come back here with my moonshine or whatever. Like, they could have done that instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but, exactly. Yeah, fair enough. I just had a, a thought coming back to the motivation thing. Um, I, I don't know if, if anyone here has uh, watched the most recent Magnificent Seven, the 2016 one. Yes, I, I put myself through that torture as well. <laughs> Why? <laughs> for the for the cause. Weirdos. You're absolute perverts. What are you doing? <laughs> but uh, you know, to its credit, that is a film which has a has a has a diverse cast. Um, mm. But interestingly, the the main leader of the, the the cowboys, he is motivated. Correct me if I'm wrong, David. He's motivated purely by revenge, like initially he's approached by the peasants and they say oh please come help us and he's just not interested and then he learns that the bandit is the bandit leader is being headed by this person who whatever like killed his family in the past and mm-hmm. that's what drives him to it and that to me is like that's speaks very much 21st century Hollywood like motivated by that kind of personal vengeance um, mm-hmm. yeah it's not a very good film I wouldn't <laughs> does does the 2016 Magnificent Seven bring back the tradition of an ungodly number of arse cracks that Seven Samurai had <laughs> <laughs> it could have I, I, was, I must admit I wasn't really looking for them okay great 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 I just wanted to know how many how many taints were available <laughs> there was a lot of like very close like butt to camera a shots a lot <laughs> yeah no it was a lot it was a lot of like baby thongs um, yeah I feel like oh my god that looks like the worst trailer ever just even from the trailer it's like what, what is going on it's got even more like shooting and nothingness like vacuumness than um <laughs> I controversially do think it's better than the 1960 Magnificent Seven. And that's not to say that it's a necessarily good film, but I I actually do think I got a little bit more out of it. But having said that, I also don't really remember it. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really know what that means. Is there like a basic button that you can edit into this or do I have to do like a manual sound effect? (laughs) If you can make like a really... Okay, I'll I'll give you some directions. Uh, If you can like say the word basic, but if you can say it like you were... Uh, like on a local hospital radio station, uh, but you're doing like an indent for uh, like some, some fashion review. So if you could, if you could give it to me like that, please. Oh, so like um, when when they do those like radio shows and they go perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a fucking plus, spot on. <laughs> please do that. Thank you so much. Well, I actually revisited a Bug's Life um, for this episode because that <laughs> oh, is also um, the inspiration oh, is, is Seven Samurai, which I didn't, you know, I didn't know that when I was a kid, obviously. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's also. Hot take alert. I think that's better than 1960 Magnificent Seven. Although, to be fair, Kevin Spacey does feature. That is a bit of a down point. I, I, I will accept, okay? But apart from that, it's great. <laughs> I hope nobody accidentally watched two seasons of 1998's TV miniseries, The Magnificent Seven. I hope that as well. I hope to God no one sat down <laughs> for this movie podcast and thought, I'm going to watch a TV show. I mean, has anyone seen the... The sequels to Magnificent Seven, because I haven't, but I'd be curious to know what... Oh, yes. Oh, you have? <laughs> oh, yes. And you, I'll tell you why. There's a reason. You're a complete masochist. Sorry, I, no, I, didn't, I, I wouldn't have done it for this podcast. God, no. Uh, <laughs> I... Do you remember when you used to get, like, these film seasons on ITV or BBC, like James Bond mm. and Cornwall's mm. Florida for, like, 52 mm-hmm. weeks? Um, mm. So they did those for Magnificent Seven used to play them every Sunday and uh, I used to go around to my grandma's on a Sunday so I mm. would watch them with her and actually have very fond memories of that. So I have to admit there is there is part of me that does have a bit of an affection for Magnificent Seven 
for that reason. Um, but but my affection definitely outweighs any merit that the film has. <laughs> that's that's lovely. Oh, I've got lovely memories. It's shit. <laughs> Okay, well, before we decide which film came out guns blazing, I think it's time for the quiz. Frequent listeners will know that before we declare our remake Rumble champion, I put Daniel and David through a tantalising trivia tournament, partly to expose Daniel's utter buffoonery, but mainly to pad out the episode's runtime. Now, our last quiz ended in a dramatic twist where Dan stole all the points David had worked so hard to accumulate over the course of our fair show. That now makes the score 4 0 to Dan. <sighs> David, I imagine, will be eager to claw back his dignity after such an embarrassing defeat. But he's got another problem a fresh face on the remake Rumble scene, no doubt looking to make a seismic mark in her inaugural appearance. Jess, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. Okay. I'm not sure I'm ready. <laughs> you will get guns. I I don't think you're putting enough faith in yourself. I I I mean I don't know how hard these questions are going to be, but I'm a bit scared to be honest. It's rigged. It's rigged. It's absolutely rigged. Right, come on. Right, let's, let's get do down this. to business. Okay. So, mm. did you defeat Hans? <laughs> All right. Sorry, go on. Question one. Tashiro Mifune said that he watched footage of which wild animal for the inspiration of his character. Was it a a lion? B, a goose, C, coyote, or D, brown bear. None of those are monkeys. <laughs> I mean, you can say monkey if you want, but it wasn't one of the options. Can I? Can I just say monkey <laughs> just to have that on record? I reckon it's goose because there is a kind of, you know, he kind of struts. There is a strut. Go- geese have struts, I would say. He's got the blind soul confidence of a goose. Okay, you're going goose. Um, I think Jess, it has how to be. about you? Um, I don't know. I want to say it's a bear because it seems like the li- like least ridiculous of those. I don't know. A bear, maybe? I feel like bear's quite aggressive, though, isn't it? Whereas goose is kind of a bit cheeky. You know, like a cheeky goose. It's got like a sort of shoulder thing going on. It's got a butt thing going on. So maybe, I don't know, there's a lot of physicality in that. I don't know. Well, I mean, if you're watching Wind of the Pooh, then yeah, fair enough. I, <laughs> I don't think that's the kind of research you did. <laughs> I'm saying that though, I, it was probably the line because I think it's the MGM line that you watch because it's like basically on the same lot. So okay, well the answer is a a lion. Yes, well done, Dan. Okay, I knew it. All right, question two: filming of Seven Samurai had to be stopped several times due to a shortage of what? Is it a catering, <laughs> b horses, c daylight hours, or d extras? I really hope it's A, because that would tie everything in, um, but in a really morbid way. Um, I don't know. I want to say daylight hours also, because, I don't know, it's hilarious and ridiculous. I'm going to go with A. Let's roll with that. You're going to A catering. Um, David, how about you? I feel like there aren't really extras apart from that village scene. I think that, So I think I'd rule out extras. I think horses. Horses. You're going horses. There are a lot of horses that have to be wrangled in Seven Samurai. Okay. I can imagine, you know, I don't know where you buy a horse. They had an embarrassment of horses. They were absolutely packed to the rafters with horses. They couldn't get shifted at horses in Seven Samurai. But where do you get a horse? I don't know. Poundland? <laughs> what happens in the north that I don't know about? Pal, let me tell you. 
It's all kinds of crazy. You want to see a real combat sport? Let's head to Little. <laughs> all right, Dan. I see. Now I reckon it actually is extras, most because about every five minutes or so, someone would like face plant into just like cow shit or something. So I reckon half of them probably died off of dysentery before the filming ended. <laughs> okay, so you're going righteous. Well, the, an- the answer is horses. Yes. What? All right. It had to be. That was obvious. It was so obvious. But see, ah. Uh, Here's the issue. I was counting the legs, not the number of animals. That'll be why I got confused. Okay. <laughs> Question three. After seeing The Magnificent Seven, Akira Kurosawa was so impressed, apparently, he sent the director a ceremonial what as a gift. Is it A, a ceremonial sword, B, a ceremonial tea set, C, a ceremonial suit of samurai armor, or D, a ceremonial horse? <laughs> Ooh. Well, if they struggled with horses, I don't think he's going to have a ceremonial one. <laughs> Was it a Heimlich Bugs Life Masturbator? <laughs> what? That's my answer. Um, you can give whatever answer you like. David, you're actually quite disturbed by this. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to be? Is that not the appropriate response? <laughs> okay, David. Phenomenal. Tea set seems like the most practical, so I'm going to say tea set. And yeah, who doesn't love a good tea set? Okay, and Daniel? I am going to say that he received a ceremonial sword, but I don't think it was friendly. I think he was wielding at him, <laughs> saying, How dare you do this to my beautiful film? <laughs> well, Daniel is correct again. Oh, ceremonial sword. Yay! Uh, okay, should we go for question four? It's, it's the one after three. <laughs> um, who wrote a Magnificent Seven-inspired story? Was it A, Steven Spielberg, B, Stephen King, C, Steve McQueen, or D, Steven Seagal? <laughs> well, I mean, Stephen King's the writer, right? So he would do the writing. <laughs> so, yeah, Stephen King. I mean... Maybe Steven Spielberg, he's a big cinema buff. He's made a few films in his time. I've heard, I've, I've heard the rumours, yeah. He's an up-and-comer. He's got a bright future. Who are you going for, Daniel? Ah, oh, you know I want to say Steven Seagal. You know I do. <laughs> this, this, this is just leading me on. Like, this is it's just... It's a trap. It's a honey trap. This is a trap. <laughs> yeah, of course I'm going to say Steven Seagal. Go for it. Well, thank you for that contribution. I can reveal that the answer is, of course, Stephen King. Obviously. Did Jess even guess that, by the way? Oh, no. What a big thing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry, Jess. Christ. <laughs> All right. Let, let, why, do, why, don't we just, why don't we just get to this final question? Okay. All right, let's park it. Okay. Sorry. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> so what's the score right now, then? Is Dan winning? Or is it is it equal, isn't it? It's equal between... Sorry. Yeah. All right, okay, final well, this, question. This is, this is a big deal, then, because I need these points. Okay, question five. According to some poll I found on the internet, The Magnificent (laughs) Seven is the second most shown film on US television. Which is the first? Is it A, Roadhouse, B, The Shawshank Redemption, C, Forrest Gump, or D, Debbie Does Dallas? (laughs) I think Shawshank Redemption surely is the one because that's a big... That's a film everyone says. Any old person will say their favourite film is Shawshank Redemption. So I, I think <laughs> it's going to be Shawshank Redemption merely just because it's probably just out in the ether, right? So people love mm-hmm. it. Mm. Okay. And Daniel? Um, hmm. Debbie Does Dallas is funnier, but I'm trying what to What is Debbie David. Does Dallas? I want to know. I've never heard of that. You just Google it in your own time, David. 
<laughs> you just type in you just type that into your your search engine of choice. Okay, fair enough. And it sounds interesting. I like the alliteration. I'll say that. Yeah, uh, that's that's probably the best part about it. I think is the alliteration. <laughs> I I'm going to say Roadhouse. Okay. I'm going to be serious. Oh, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to play the game. Okay, and Jess. Yeah, I was hoping to go with the with the consensus, but I actually think it's Forrest Gump. Ooh, okay. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. That's kind okay. of yeah. I could I could see it being Forrest Gump. To be fair, because I swear, yeah, I don't know. It just it seems it seems right. Oh right, it charts the great American story. Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, what an interesting turn of events. We have Jess on zero points. <laughs> 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 we have, wow, I'm surprised to hear that. We have David on two points. No. <gasps> and we have Daniel on three points. Yay! Oh, Maybe what? now my father will be proud of me. Yay! Well, Jess, you're, you're a massive disappointment as our first guest, so... Um... It's okay. Someone's going to take one for the team. I was just here to make David look good. <laughs> 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 Amazing. Well, I think it's time we went to the scorecards. So, Jess, perhaps as our guest, um, you could start. Which was your favourite film, Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai? Um, I think I'm a bit biased and uh, I like the earlier stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to pick Seven Samurai to be a cliche. Um, how about you, Daniel? It's, it's obviously Seven Samurai. It's it's a classic of the genre. It's absolutely incredible that it was made in the time it was. Like, this is the fifties, right? Like it's unbelievable that they made a film of this quality, even without color. It's it's <laughs> amazing. Seven Samurai every time. And David, yeah, I, I not to be boring, but yeah, I totally agree. Um, Seven Samurai is definitely the better film. I mean, honestly, I didn't really much like Magnificent Seven, and I think it's probably more interesting as a piece of film history mm. in terms of kind of where it stands in the Western canon and kind of how westerns developed. But I think as a film, it's pretty boring and. Yeah, genuinely, I do think A Bug's Life is a more interesting, engaging film than Magnificent Seven. <laughs> but yeah, Seven Samurai just, it just is incredible. You know, it's three and a half hours, but it feels so fast paced and exciting and interesting. And it's dark, but it's funny. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I really, really, really do like it. And yeah, pretty boring because <laughs> everyone has said Seven Samurai. And I almost want to say Magnificent Seven just to give it some kind of, you know, throw it a bone. But, uh, <laughs> I'm afraid I, I just can't do that. I almost want to say Magnificent Seven 2016, um, but no, it's uh, it's got to be got to be Seven Samurai. Um, I think I think Magnificent Seven is okay, but no, Seven Samurai is a great film, and I mean great quite sincerely. I think everything from the writing to the we haven't talked much about this, but just like the the use of movement and blocking, I think is fantastic. Mm. So yeah, both historically important, but continues to be a great film. A magnificent film, if you will. <laughs> a seven film, if you will. Boo! <laughs> you know what? We didn't talk much about either. The music is very good in Seven Samurai. Mm. Very, very mm. good. Great soundtrack. This is true. Yeah. A lot of traditional Japanese saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> we never talked about the fantastic way that the, um, that the, the ominous drums at the beginning build up to like the title card where it talks about the the hooves of the bandits like trampling the peasants or whatever mm, and then it dissolves into the horses that is mwah, chef's kiss top class cinema <laughs> <laughs> okay well thank you everyone for your wild west wisdom and thank you for your attention dear listeners remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you're feeling especially nice why don't you leave us a review 
follow us on Facebook and Twitter to receive the latest Remake Rumble rumours, slanders and updates on Daniel's desperate attempt to defend the peasants of Sunderland from the barbarous onslaught of Geordie gentrification. <laughs> so long, partners. Happy trails. Ciao. Bye. Perfect.